Um, this morning, we are going to be, uh, we're going to be looking at several different passages this morning, a little bit different than maybe a normal sticking in one text. Um, and I'm going to give you an idea of what we're going to be teaching uh, next week in Staten Island, New York, in our Kid Venture program that will be running during the morning times in that uh, this Saturday, uh, a missions team of seven will be sent out from CBC, and uh, we will be going uh, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to, uh, not to, but really it's already been happening, but able to expand that uh, through the ministry of Nate and Carol Watkins and uh, Repentance Baptist Church. It is a uh, predominantly Liberian church community, um, and although the, the community that they're now in uh, is made up of many different uh, ethnicities and things, uh, but their church uh, specifically was started uh, through uh, ministering to Liberian Christians there. So a little bit about Nate and Carol. Um, for those of you that may not be familiar, we support them uh, monthly as missionaries. They were missionaries to Africa for many years before uh, the Lord called them off of the field there, uh, only to come back to the States and get connected with a group of Liberian Christians. Uh, and through Bible studies and things, uh, a church was formed there on Staten Island, and uh, they've been ministering there. They just purchased the building um, and and uh, getting that into full swing as well uh, in their neighborhood there. So we'll be partnering with them uh, on the ground. Uh, at the end of our service, we'll have a commissioning time where we'll have the team come up uh, and just uh, as a church pray over the team and for them, commissioning them uh, for, for that task. Um, give you a little idea of what we'll be doing uh, in case you've missed that in any of, uh, any of the, the updates and things. Uh, we will be uh, ministering next Sunday in their church uh, in both their Sunday school time and their morning service. And then from Monday to Friday, uh, for a couple hours in the morning, we will be running a kids program, uh, Kid Venture, uh, where our theme is Everyday Heroes. And uh, in, the mid, in, in, that, in that program, uh, we will have some different speakers coming in that are everyday heroes. So firemen, police, uh, teacher, uh, military, and EMS or nurse or doctor uh, along those lines. And all of those uh, are as well tied into the lessons that we'll be presenting. Uh, ultimately, and what we'll be talking about this morning, that Jesus is the ultimate hero. And so while we celebrate uh, the, those that, that serve and we, and we value within our own lives on a day-to-day -day basis, those everyday heroes, ultimately Jesus is the hero that we all need. And so uh, we'll be doing that. We'll be doing a few uh, community outreach projects as well um, and just kind of seeing as well how the Lord would leave, lead in partnering with the church congregation there. So a uh, couple ways that you can partner with us uh, and, and just be a help to us. One, there is a snack uh, and breakfast sign-up uh, right out on the, um, on the Welcome Center there, just a paper sign-up. Several have already done that. There's a table right across the hallway there where you could set those items on. Uh, but if you're able to, that would be a help to the team. Uh, just snacks throughout the week and some, some uh, simple breakfast items. Uh, that, will be a, that will be a help. Uh, and then as well, and I mentioned this in our member meeting last week, uh, but for those of you that weren't there, uh, pray for us. 
um, and, a, and a simple, tangible way that you can remember to pray for us. So we'll be gone from 7.23 to 7.30, July 23rd to the 30th. Uh, I'm just going to ask that uh, once a day or twice if you want to, but uh, if you would pray for us between 7.23 and 7.30, you can pick a.m. or p.m., whatever works into your schedule. You can pray as a family, as a couple, as individuals, um, but that would, be, that would mean a lot to us because um, we can plan all the best things, and we've done a lot of planning. We've been planning for months. Um, we can have all the, all the things that we think that need to be in place, um, but any time that we are looking to advance the gospel, uh, there is an enemy that we'll, we'll talk about this morning that is looking to thwart those efforts and stop those efforts. So, um, and, and prayer is our greatest weapon. And so please be in prayer for us. And again, at the end of the service here, you'll, you'll um, see the team. There, is, there are prayer sheets as well uh, with the team members listed on the Welcome Center. So feel free uh, to grab those and I would encourage you to do that. Um, we're going to pray in just a moment, but turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start at the beginning, and as I said, we'll be turning to several different passages uh, throughout our time, and I'll have several things as well on the, on the overhead um, verses and things for you to make note of. Uh, but we will go um, uh, pretty, pretty quickly here, really through the big story of the Bible Let's bow in prayer here this morning. Father, as we just sang, we, we come as sinners. We can come as nothing else. We're not worthy. We're not good. Uh, we're, we're not heroes. We're in need of a hero. We're in need of salvation. And we recognize this morning as a church family that for this, for this church body, for this local community, for those on Staten Island, for those all around the world, there is only salvation found in one name, and that name is Jesus Christ. And so it's to Him that we look. We look for our, our own salvation. Look, Father, we teach our children and the next generations this invaluable truth that as sinners we cannot save ourselves but in your love and your mercy and in your power you have provided the way of salvation for us and that promise that good news is true for men for women for young and old for every ethnicity, for rich, for poor. Father, that is, that is the hope of all people. I pray this morning that that message will be clear, that our hearts would be open. Father, wh whether we think that we have a need to hear this message again or not, Lord, stir our hearts with this good news and let us once again rejoice in this fountain of blessing found at the cross. 
Lord, we pray for uh, Adam and Rachel and their, their kids, that you would just bring healing, uh, give them full health. Father, for others within our church body, several others that as well, that, that are not feeling well, we just ask that you would restore their health once again. Thank you for um, just the, the health through the last couple years that our church has experienced, that, that while we have been sick, Father, we, we have been uh, blessed with much physical health, and we praise you for that. We just pray that you would bless uh, those that are not here this morning. Thank you for our kids. Thank you for those who are ministering to them right now. Lord, I pray that as well, Jesus Christ would be uh, magnified and glorified in, in what is taught, Father, and then in the lives of our kids as they hear that good news. Guide my lips, guide my mind and my thoughts here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Superheroes, sports heroes, uh, social media heroes, everyday heroes. The world wants a hero in the story of life. The Bible is one big story. It's God's story. And within this story, we, we know if you've been in church for any length of time or grew up in Sunday school and, or, or teaching any of our kids, um, kids' programs and ministries, you know that there are all these smaller stories that are, make up the Bible. And it's really easy to read these smaller stories without keeping this big story picture in mind. Stories we read in the Bible about great rulers like King David and Queen Esther. Stories about false prophets and true, true prophets like the prophet Isaiah. Stories about blind men seeing, about lepers being healed, about the lame walking, and even people being raised from the dead. Stories about sacrifice and hardship and persecution. And all these stories are intricately woven together to form one big story, the gospel. Through these seemingly random stories, God's story of salvation in Jesus Christ is unfolded. In fact, these stories all point us to the person of Jesus Christ. He's the central figure in all of it. He's the hero. So the story of Queen Esther or King David isn't about a lowly boy or girl who climbs the ladder of blessing to become king or queen. Or a story of how to defeat your giants. It's pointing us to a king who will come through the line of David. And this would come to pass as Esther stands as a deliverer for God's people. All of the prophets point us to the greater prophet, Jesus Christ, who is more than a prophet. He is God in flesh. And so all throughout the pages of Scripture, we see this story, this good news of the gospel unfolding, and it's still unfolding today. We, we know the end of the story, but it hasn't happened yet. And so we're living in that story right now. And so this morning, I want to point us to Jesus as we look at the big story of Scripture. You know, sometimes I hear people say things like, well, I, I like what the Bible teaches, some of the lessons and the, the, the stories I'm familiar with, but I'm not, I, I'm not so much in favor of Jesus being the only hero 
Or we might say it like this, the only Savior. However, there's, there's no way to read the Bible without being confronted with this truth. This reality that Jesus is the hero that we all need. No exceptions. So this morning, I, I have three truths for you, and then we're going to consider Jesus Christ in light of these truths. So number one, we're going to start in the very beginning. I know about a month ago, we looked in detail at Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. But we're going to do a little bit of overview of chapter 1 through 3, where the story starts. So number one, we are in a battle, but God has already won the victory. We are in a battle, but God has already won the victory. The first person that we're introduced in all of Scripture is God himself. God, the creator, the true king. Before there was anything, there was God. Everything, including you and me, starts with God. He created all that we see and experience in this world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then God details and tells us exactly what he created in, in the rest of chapter number one. Day number one, God created light and darkness. Day number two, he created the atmosphere and the sky. Day three, he creates the land, the sea, and the plants. Day four, he creates the sun, the moon, the stars. Day five, the sea creatures and the bird. Day six, the land animals and humans. And then you get to verse number 27, and we see that God creates humans differently. He creates them special. Do we know of any other animal or any other created thing that, that are like humans that can talk and create and, and, and have uh, those, th- those uh, human-like emotions and that they have the ability to, to create and process things? No, we see glimpses of it in different creatures, but nothing like what we see in humanity. And why, verse number 27, God created man in his own image so that we can live in a relationship with him. God created some humans to be male, some to be female. He created them perfect. Adam and Eve, the first people, he creates them perfect and he wanted them to live in relationship with him and fill the earth with more people. Reproduction. So God creates people to live with him in a perfect world that he created, to share himself with humanity. And God puts the first man and woman in this garden called Eden. Notice in chapter 2, in verses 15 to 17, what, what it tells us, and the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to keep it and work it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat it, of, you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God places Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden, and he, and he gave them every fruit of the tree to eat. You can have it all. It's all yours to enjoy freely. But he had one rule. Do not eat of the tree of knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil. It doesn't sound like such a hard rule. You could eat of all of this, just not, not that one. But there was someone else in the garden. They weren't alone. There was an enemy in the garden with them, 
He was an enemy of God. He was an enemy to Adam and Eve. And, the, and another character we're introduced right in the beginning of this story is Satan himself. Satan, the counterfeit creator, the imposter king. Before God created the world, he created angels. And angels are not human, but they were created to serve God. And one angel thought he was bigger and better than God. He thought that all creation should worship him. And instead of worshiping him, I'm sorry, instead of worshiping God, he sought the worship for himself. His name was Lucifer. You know him, perhaps as Satan or the devil. Satan is not God. He wants to be God, but he's an imposter. An imposter is someone who pretends to be something that they are not. Satan wants to be king, but there can only be one king. And when Satan tried to become God, God kicked him out of heaven, and Satan is God's enemy. An enemy is someone who is against you. Someone's looking to stop you, to thwart your efforts. And Satan had a plan for how to harm God. We're going to look at chapter 3 here for a little bit. And Satan wanted to ruin God's perfect world. And in verse number 1 of chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent, and this is Satan in the, in the form of a serpent, was more crafty. Tricky, deceitful than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I'm going to stop there. We'll, we'll continue reading in just a moment. Was Satan telling Eve the truth? Absolutely not. Satan is a liar. He will always try to get us to disobey God just like he did in the garden. The way we see Satan operates with the first people is the same way that he operates with each of us. And sadly, Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command to eat the fruit. And here's what happened. Verse number six. Let's continue reading. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the, voice, or they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So after Adam and Eve ate the fruits, they realized that the serpent, Satan, had tricked them. 
In verse 8, it's just a sad verse. We don't have time to go into these verses in great detail. But can you imagine what it would be like for Adam and Eve, having never experienced this feeling of shame, to all of a sudden hear the voice of God and not get excited and run to him, but instead hide themselves? Verse number 9, the story continues, But the Lord God called to the man, And said to him, where are you? And Adam answered and said, I I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. You know, God knew that Adam and Eve had disobeyed. He wasn't asking for his knowledge. He was asking so that they would come to terms with what they had done. But as a result of their disobedience, Adam and Eve would be separated from God. They would be kicked out of the garden. They would no longer live with him forever. And God put Adam and Eve out of this beautiful garden that he had made for them. And life was going to get a lot more difficult. We're not going to read the the curse that is issued upon them, that the ground would, would be thorny, that labor and childbirth would be painful for the woman. But it was going to get difficult. And it seems like Satan has won. He's ruined God's creation. He's brought death to Adam and Eve, but it's not the end of the story. There's many stories in between Genesis chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 20, but I want us to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Page number 61, if you're using one of the supplied Bibles. And what we find out between Genesis 3... And Exodus chapter 20 is that God continues to love the people that he created. And he calls out from among the nations a people to himself, the nation of Israel. And he gives Israel a law. And this is our second point here. God has given us a law, but none of us can obey it perfectly. God has given us a law, but none of us can obey it perfectly. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they were removed from the garden. They had many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, many offspring. There were millions of people all over the earth. And this is good because Adam, or God told Adam and Eve to fill the earth with people. But the more people that were born, the more problems that came. The more disobedience that had filled the earth because people didn't always get along. They would sin against others, each other. They would sin against God. And we can all relate to this because we've all done something wrong. Even when we don't realize it, we still do wrong things. Guys, just ask your wives. You may not realize the things that you're doing are wrong, but it doesn't mean that it's not wrong. And it would be nice to know if something was wrong before we did it. And so God gives us a law to know right and wrong, but not just so that we would know it and that we could try to to do it and try to keep it because we're going to find out that we can't, 
But the law actually shows us and makes us realize that we do wrong things. Here's the law. Try to keep it. You will fail. We can never keep the law perfectly. It acts as a witness against us that we are lawbreakers. And here in Exodus chapter 20, we're going to read uh, just real briefly 10 commandments or 10 laws that God gives. Now, now, there's more to the law of God than these 10 commandments. But this gets, gives us a good understanding and summarizes the law of God very succinctly. In, in Exodus chapter 20 here, I'm not going to read down through all the verses, but you can pick out these laws through the first 17 verses or so. Here are the Ten Commandments that we're familiar with. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Now, the first four of these commands teach us how we are to relate to God. The last six of these commands teach us how we are to relate to other people. This is why Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says what? On these two commands hangs all of the law. You can sum it all up in loving God and loving others. And in order to obey God's law... All we have to do is to love God and love each other perfectly. That's it. And if you can do this, you can have a relationship with God. However, we know, we know ourselves, that we can't obey God's law perfectly. I want us to turn, and we're going we're gonna to get there in just a minute, but I want us to ch- turn to James chapter 2 and verse number 10. It might sound easy to some of us to look at this list of rules and think, well, I I can do that. And maybe you can do it for, for an hour, for a day, but can you do it forever? Can you keep the law forever? You might get 100 on a test once or twice, or 20 times. But you're not going to get 100 every single time. See, the the sin nature that Adam and Eve had in, in their original sin, in their fall, is passed down to each one of us. In Romans 5.19, it says this, For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners. Through Adam, each of us are are sinners by nature. We're born this way. We are guilty. And it's not because of Adam's sin. Did you you catch, as we read chapter 3 of Genesis, when God asked, what did you do? And how Adam shifted the blame back to God? Well, the woman that you gave me, she made me eat the fruit. And then the woman shifted the blame to the serpent. Well, it was his fault. We like to shift the blame for our sin. But we are guilty because of our own sin. And one act of disobedience, we become lawbreakers. Notice with me, James chapter 2 and verse number 10. For whoever keeps the whole law, 
but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. I like the way the, the, the New Living Translation puts it. For the person who keeps all the laws, except one, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. We like to think we're pretty good people. And we compare ourselves with each other and we think, well, I'm not as bad as, I'm not as, bad as that person. I've never, I've never you know, committed a, a horrible offense. I've never committed murder or, or stolen anything, committed robbery. But the Bible says that each of us have broken God's law and we're lawbreakers even if we break one command one time. It's not a little mistake. It's not a slip up. This is serious. You see, we are just like Adam and Eve in the garden. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, God removed them from the garden. Their relationship with God was broken. And your disobedience to God has broken your relationship with him. God is not a sinner. He is holy. One aspect of holiness is perfection. Only God is perfect. And he can only be in relationship with perfect people. And this is a problem for us because we are not perfect. I think most of us would readily admit to that. We're not perfect. But do you see the depth of your sin? Sometimes we say, well, well no one's perfect. But we're pretty, I'm, I'm pretty good. I want to consider our sin just a little bit deeper. Because we don't only sin by the things that we do. We are sinful on the inside and the outside. Sin is disobedience to God's law, not just on the outside, but, but, but the inside within our hearts. We go against what God's word says. Hear, hear the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 7 and verses 21 and 22. What does he say? For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. You see, it's easy to think that sin is only the things we do on the outside, but sin starts on the inside and works its way out. Before you do something, you think it first. Before you hit your brother or sister, you've already had that thought in your mind. Before you call your neighbor a jerk under your breath, you've already thought that in your mind. It comes from your heart. Sin is more than doing wrong things. It affects all of our beings. We are, we are totally and completely sinful. That's why that last song that we sang, Come, O Sinner, applies to all of us in full. And many people think that we can make ourselves clean by doing good works. But here's what God says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and nine, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Notice these this next three words, not by works, so that no one 
can boast. This verse makes it very clear that we cannot have our sins forgiven. We cannot be cleansed by doing good works. So things like going to church and reading your Bible and praying to God and obeying your parents and being a blessing to your neighbors and a good citizen, all of those things, they can't, they're, they're good, but they can't take away your sin. I have a picture on the screen. There might be a few medically inclined people that know what this is a picture of, but it's not something that we see very often in our society anymore because we, we have a vaccination for it. This is a picture of someone with measles. And you see all these red blotches on them. But measles is a disease that starts on the inside of your body, and it gives you a fever and a sore throat and a runny nose and a rash. Now, I think even kids, you can help me out with this. If we put band-aids all over these red spots and cover this body with band-aids, do you think it's going to heal us from measles? And I see at least one person shaking their head no. Why? Because the rash isn't the cause of the disease. It's the result of the disease. Something's going on in the inside, and it's showing itself on the outside. Your body, when we think about measles, needs to be healed on the inside. Then the rash will go away. And the same is true with our sins. Good works are like the band-aids that we put over ourselves to cover our sin. And we think, there, it's covered, it's gone. But it's not. Those good works aren't going to bring healing to your sinful heart. And if we only try to change the outside, the inside is still sick. sick. And, th- and this all sounds like really bad news, and, and it is bad news. And it gets worse. Turn to Romans chapter 6, page number 943. This brings us to our third point before we point us to the hero of the story. Disobeying God's law brings a punishment. God gives us a law. We, none of us can obey it perfectly. And disobedience to this law brings a punishment. And that punishment is hell. Romans 6.23 is a verse that many of you may be familiar with. But... It's one of the most clear verses in Scripture that tell us what the end result of death is. There is a penalty for sin, and that penalty is death. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. There is a punishment for our disobedience. Because God is holy and He's just, He cannot allow sin to go unpunished. The, the, the Bible uses this word here, wage. A wage is something we earn when we, when we have a job. If, if we work for a week and we're supposed to get paid at the end of the week and we don't get paid, we would say, hey, wait a minute, I earned that, I deserve it. That's the word here. What we deserve because of our sin is death. If we sin, we've earned the judgment of death. And that's why I said earlier, 
our sin and disobeying God is not, not just a little mistake or something we can put, put a band-aid on of good works. God hates sin and it must be punished. And this punishment is both physical and spiritual death. We, we all know that we're going to die once. Physical death. But this punishment entails an eternal death that is separation from God forever in hell. It's more than just our bodies dying. Our soul experiences an eternal death. Sin brings a forever, never-ending eternal death. Jesus describes this eternal death as hell. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28, again, this is, this is the word of Jesus himself. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body where? In hell. Jesus believed in and taught that those who disobey God will suffer hell. Revelation 21.8 it's one, one of my own personal, even go-to verses, uh, oftentimes in sharing the gospel. But it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Did you notice who's going to this lake of fire as it's described here in Revelation? A lot, of, a lot of wicked people that we would say, I don't identify with that and I'm not that. But did you see the last person on the list? All liars. You ever told a lie? I have. All of us have. We all deserve hell forever. And the worst part of hell is being separated from our Creator forever. We can never know what it's like to love God. We can never know what it's like to be loved by God. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Now, many within our culture reject this idea because it's unpleasant to consider. And I get it. I mean, who wants to be, who wants to be labeled guilty and deserving of judgment? Who wants to think that that's, that's what awaits my eternal destiny? But the rejection of this truth usually leads to the rejection of this last truth that I want to share. And this is where we're going to point ourselves to Christ. Jesus is the hero we all need. For some, this simple statement comes as extremely good news. When you think about that, you might be thinking, yes. That's so true. That's so great. That's exactly, that, that's exactly what I need. But for others, this is narrow-minded. This is archaic. This is bigoted. This is even hateful. To say that Jesus is the only hero and savior that we all need, what about other people's religions? What about other teachings? I'm going to ask you 
If that's your line of thinking this morning, just make your judgment on what God's word says. In relation to this, so we've already looked at that we are in a battle, but God has already won the victory. And at the very beginning of the story, I'm going to turn back to Genesis 3. You can do so as well, because there's a verse here that sets the stage for the rest of the story of the gospel throughout the scriptures. Here at the very beginning, when the battle first started and man and woman were plunged into sin and death, God made a promise. And the promise comes in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. And here's what God promises to Adam and Eve and subsequently all of their offspring that would follow you and I. I will put enmity between you. He's talking to the serpent here, Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Eve would have offspring and, this, and out of this offspring would come a man who would hurt, uh, he, he would be hurt or wounded by Satan But this man would then one day crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus is that promised offspring of Eve. The hero's son. He is the reason that we can say God has already won the victory. Yes, we're in a battle. And yes, it's hard. I heard it described somewhere along the line, so I'm not going to take credit for it. But but. Satan is already defeated and he's, he's like a wounded animal that's dying and thrashing around. Not like someone who's advancing. Because Jesus Christ has already secured the victory and defeated Satan. The second point that we looked at, God has given us a law, but none of us can obey it perfectly and though we can't obey God's law perfectly, here's what 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22 says about Jesus. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. Jesus kept every command of God perfectly forever. See, Satan was successful in, in, in ruining God's first man, first perfect man, Adam. Adam fell in sin. But Satan was unsuccessful in trying to ruin God's second perfect man, Jesus Christ. And when that didn't work, what did he do? He had Jesus killed on a cross, and Satan thought he won again. Just like at the beginning in the garden. I won. I I ruined God's plan. At the cross, Satan thought the same thing, but Jesus didn't stay dead. And three days later, he rises again comes back to life, and today he is alive and he's reigning as king. One day he will return and forever destroy Satan and his army of demons. See, well, when Jesus died on the cross, he took your sin and punishment. He took the hell that you and I deserve, and he offers to you eternal life. If you turn from your sin, what the Bible calls repentance, 
and you believe that your sin is forgiven by what Jesus has done for you. And what's amazing is that Jesus is perfect both on the outside and the inside. Praise God that Jesus can heal us on the inside and the outside. He's not just given us rules to obey to clean up the outside, but he actually cleanses us from within. I want to end in Luke chapter 5, page number 861, with a a story that you may be familiar with, a story of someone who was not able to walk, was paralyzed. And in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is teaching people in a house, and there's this big crowd around him. And no one could get through to see him. And this was a problem because this paralyzed man was being carried by his four friends. Probably on some kind of a a, a cot type thing or or, uh, within a big blanket of some sort. And they wanted to get to Jesus because they wanted to see if Jesus could heal him like he had healed others. And so these four friends had an idea. Since they couldn't go through the crowd, they would go over the crowd. And they lifted the man up on the roof. And they took the roof apart. A little bit different than our roofs today. They lowered the man down in front of Jesus. Do you know why they went through all of that work? Because they believed that Jesus could heal their friend. And do you know what Jesus did? I mean, you can picture the scene. Here comes, there's all these people listening to his teaching, and here comes this person out of the, out of the ceiling. You know what he does as they lower the man into the house? Well, he, he's getting lowered because he can't walk. They want him to heal his leg so he can walk or his back or whatever's wrong with him. But look at verse number 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. But but I thought I thought he, he wanted his legs healed. And he did. But Jesus knew that he needed more than physical healing. He needed an internal healing of his sin. He needed healing on the inside. And the most important thing for each of us to know is that our sins are forgiven if we're trusting and looking to Jesus Christ. In our story here, there were some religious leaders in verse number 21 that basically they say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Only God can forgive sins. Who is this that speaks blasphemies? They got a problem with this. And they were exactly right. God is the only one who can forgive sin. So what is Jesus telling us and what is he claiming? That he is, in fact, God. That he has the power to forgive sins. And what they didn't realize, Jesus being God, 
And so to show them God, notice what he does in verses 23 and 24. I'll I'll read the question he gives them at verse 22. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know, Jesus wants them to know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, so that you would know that I am God. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. The man was healed. He was able to get up and walk. Jesus healed him, both on the inside and the outside. And Jesus was able to do this because he's like no other man. He's fully God and fully man. But did you catch what Jesus saw in verse number 20? It it could have said, and when he saw the man being lowered down, but it says this, when he saw their faith. You see, you don't have to do good works to have your sin forgiven. What we need is to believe, to have faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus is what brings healing to this man. Faith in Jesus is what brings spiritual healing to you and I. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be made clean. Then the outside will start to change. The way you think, the way you talk, the way you act will start to look differently as you are healed on the inside. And so here, this big story of the Bible and this story that's playing out in our lives has a hero and his name is Jesus Christ. There can only be one hero. And we must believe that Jesus is the hero that can save us. When Jesus saves you from your sin, he saves you for his kingdom. He calls you into the big story that's that's already been unfolding for thousands of years so that you could further that story and tell others about this hero. This morning, I just have a few questions as we end. Do you recognize and follow him as your hero? Is he the hero of your life? Or are you looking to heroes that our culture puts in front of us? Oftentimes, you know who the hero is? It's ourselves. I can do it. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I'm rich enough. Do you recognize and follow Jesus as your hero And if you say, yeah, that's definitely the case, are you pointing others to him as the hero? Are Are you lifting high his name? He never stops being the hero of the story. We we never get to a point where we move away from Jesus Christ and move on to someone else or something else. Every time we read the stories of the Bible, we see this hero emerging time after time time. Jesus is the hero we all need.